When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 1001 True Stories. My name is Brian Trombley, your host, and thank you for joining me. This show is where you'll get to meet some of the nicest people on earth, most of them just regular, ordinary, everyday folks who experience something worth talking about. Could be anything from a ghost story to a celebrity encounter to a close call, even a family adventure that might have gone wrong. The theory here is that everyone has a story to tell, and we'd like to hear it. Today's guest on 1001 True Stories is Steve Stratton. He is a former White House communicator for the U.S. Secret Service and a retired Special Forces NCO. Now, what would you do if you were in the Secret Service and discovered a briefcase left at the front gate? Hi, folks, and welcome to the show once again, 1001 True Stories. And today, I think we got a fantastic one for you. And uh, I'm going to let this gentleman introduce himself and uh, tell you what he's all about. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Uh, my name's Steve Stratton. I'm uh, now retired and uh, writing books. Uh, but before that, I served at the White House for four and a half years as a communicator, then the Secret Service. And in and around all that, uh, I was a Green Beret and served in South America and such. And so, wow. yeah, I might have a couple stories and uh, <laughs> glad to be here. It's, it just Excellent. sounds like a fun idea. Yeah, so far it's uh, it's turning out to contain some very interesting stories. Let's put it that way. And uh, from what I can tell, you uh, might have some a uh, couple of interesting ones from your presidential service days, we'll call it. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I uh, I joined the military in 73. And then in 74, after all my training, grew up in California and got taken across uh, all the way across the states to Georgia to finalize my training and then went up to DC and connected with my sponsor who was going to take me into work for the first day kind of idea. And as we're driving in, this is how old I am. <laughs> as we're driving in, he goes, you know what that is? I said, is that the Watergate? And he's like, yeah, don't go there. <laughs> it was a it was a week. It was a week before Nixon resigned. So yeah, it was a good time not to be around the the Watergate and the Howard Johnsons across the street. So yeah, that was my introduction to Washington D.C. and the politics. So there you go. So is that pre Watergate, like pre Watergate, and you were told don't go in there, or pre or post? Post Watergate, like a right. week before Nixon uh, waved us all off from the stairs of uh, oh yes know, HMX one, right? The helicopter, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah. So after that, uh, you know, we've got now we've got President Ford, right? He was mm -hmm. he was VP and then uh, became president, and so uh, crazy, crazy, funny story from he loved a vacation in Vail, Colorado, right? Okay. In the 70s. And um, so I'm all excited. I've never been, you know, I've been all around California, Washington, Oregon, but I've never been to Colorado. We're in Vail, this famous ski resort and stuff. And I just get told after we set up our communications networks up and down Highway 70 and stuff, 
And at the little airport he would fly into, um, I'm like, the colonel's like, hey, Steve, you need to take skiing lessons. You're going to be skiing behind the president. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, this is not right. You know, <laughs> I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm stupid and fearless, you know, but, uh, or stupidly fearless. And, uh, <laughs> but this is not going to work out well. He's like, yeah, I need you to go take a lesson. It'll be free. And, uh, they'll give you some skis and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you need to ski behind the president and have the backup to the backup kind of radio. Cause, uh, the unit I was in, we took care of all the radio systems and the microphone and the podium, everything to do with presidential communications and stuff like that. So we even took care of uh, the shop I worked in. We took care of the, the walkie talkies, the Motorola handhelds that the Secret Service had. And so I knew these guys. I knew the presidential detail guys. And I'm like, you really want me skiing with the president? They're like, yeah, yeah, go take the lesson. And sure enough, next day I go from uh, skiing the you know the the switchback green route down the mountain to being on the mountain on a blue slope, snow plowing behind the president, going yeah, this is sort of sketchy. <laughs> I my, my legs, my shins still hurt from that's how hard I was snow plowing. I took I took I like half the mountain down the mountain with me the snow. Yeah, so and, do- uh, he fell down. Oh wow. Yeah. He fell down one time, just sort of slid out. He he didn't crash and burn, but he sort of slid out. And I wasn't paying attention. Next thing you know, the president stopped in front of me and the agents started to close in. And I'm like, whoa, 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 lifting up a leg, <laughs> cutting a corner, heading for the trees. They're like, what's Stratton trying to do? Run over to president, you know, <laughs> guys heading for the trees. He's out of control. So I stayed uh, the next day. And, and after that, I stayed many, many more feet behind the president and the team um, out of the way. That way, if I crashed, it wasn't a big deal. You know, wasn't going to be on uh, ABC News and that kind of stuff. But that was my <laughs> introduction to skiing. Big, long, flat, 210 skis, right? Downhill skis. And yeah, my guy, it was just craziness. Uh, the next year was a lot better, a lot safer for everybody because I had <laughs> I'd gone back to the East Coast and skied some. Uh, but yeah, that was one of those crazy times where it's like, no, nope, you, you're you up. You need to go take the lesson and go. Yeah, exactly. So um, in regards to skill level, I guess, I'm not a skier. So when you say blue and green and so on and so forth, so would you say President Ford at that time was a, a very accomplished skier and you're basically a newbie going down where you really shouldn't be? <laughs> yeah, I think he was more accomplished, but he was playing it safe at his age and and skiing a blue route I now know and many of your listeners know is an intermediate route. Okay. Green is beginner, blue is intermediate, and then blacks are for, you know, people who really know what they're doing are just crazy kids on snowboards nowadays. But gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there I was. I mean, like say, you know, I had just essentially taken the lesson and now I'm going on an intermediate slope and uh yeah. Right. Too much well, excitement. That, there you go. <laughs> so you were you weren't there for the infamous Gerald Ford um uh, slip down the uh stairs of the uh of Air Force 1, were you? No, we um not unlike a submarine crew, we had multiple teams that could go out. There were teams still at that time there was a team um there was a, 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 a sort of a contingency ready to go team at Andrews. There was one down in Homestead. 
and there was one out in California, sort of the Nixon two places. He would go California and, mm-hmm. and uh, Miami area, right? Florida. Right. And so there were go teams, but then they would just pick teams and head out, you know, in support of advanced trips. So Vail was nice because it was get in, put the systems up, and then just ro- rotate through on sort of normal work hours. Sure. Uh, other times it would be go out in advance and work, you know, 18 hour days, getting ready the two weeks before the president would show up for three minutes. <laughs> and, right. Uh, yeah, just to make sure the Secret Service had all the radio coverage they needed back then at those times before, gotcha. before we had cell phones and other things like so, that. So, so you were one of the guys that been in charge of the little thing where they hold up their cuff like this and they talk into the cuff? <laughs> back in the day, exactly. Yeah, that, that in the cuff, there's a little square, little square microphone, um, sort of a tan-colored microphone to speak into. And of course, the, the solution for when that would get icy and freeze up was to put something over it, but you had to make sure it was a non-lubricated kind of cover or sheet that you put over that oh boy. microphone. <laughs> so uh, there were a lot of different options. It's like use a balloon and the balloon was too thick, use a condom and sometimes that worked or not, you know, just depended. And nobody gotcha. liked the condom idea because it was sort of creepy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we had, uh, the, those are the earpieces of the mic. And then we had big radio sets for longer uh, communications, uh, fun time. Right on. So um, how many presidents did you work protection on? Um, technically that one week in Nixon, but mainly mainly Ford, Carter, and then a couple weeks of Reagan. Oh, um, okay. When, when Reagan and Bush one were, um, you know, the, um, the elected presidents, but not not um, uh, sworn in yet. Correct. I forget yeah. what that designation president, is. President-elect, yeah. I think, that's it. <laughs> that's right. President-elect, yeah. yeah. Um, I went down to uh, Houston and put in an alarm system. By that time, I was in the Secret Service, and so I put an alarm system in um, uh, Bush's house down in Houston and stuff like that. They turned out to be a real nice. Most of the people I worked with were really nice mm-hmm. and um you know, engaging with either the Secret Service and or the military folks that supported them. We'll return to our conversation with Steve Stratton right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. Sure. Um, You know, occasionally you get some puffed up staffer who thinks he's all this or that, you know, and you you just sort of got to work around it. Yeah, exactly. You can't smack them upside the head and get them, yeah. get them back down to earth. But uh, yeah. yeah, so those, yeah, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and touch of Reagan. So. A little bit of Reagan and from there yeah. on, right? So yeah. um, just a, an interesting point, maybe. It, it must be stressful for you guys when there is a switch of presidencies and so on and so forth, is it? Or is it just same show, different day? Yeah, it's... Um, Luckily, like on the communication side, um, you know, you're really serving the needs of the staff, the the Secret Service and the staff, and also the president to communicate, you know, if he's on land or out at sea or any aircraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not, there may be a little bit of personality involved, but not a whole lot on the communicator side. On the Secret Service side, when you're in closer contact with the protectee, vice president, Back in the day, Kissinger, Secretary of State, or certainly the president, um, 
you do have those little little idiosyncrasies, you know, and and um, like Clinton liked to used to go for a run and stuff around right. town, things like that. <laughs> um, you know, something we didn't worry about too much with with the presidents that I was with. They sure. didn't go for runs. Um, they go for horseback rides and do other things like that, but not yeah. not really go going for a run. I think a run or a horseback ride would be preferable for me over skiing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, having owned horses, I would, I would appreciate that. The, um, uh, it did get a little strange when, like, uh, in '76, when we had the tall, tall ships thing in in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, Ford was on the Forrestal aircraft carrier in the harbor, and then I was on a missile guided cruiser. Or, yeah guided missile cruiser um with uh kissinger and rockefeller and they were some interesting personalities is rockefeller is the vice president and kissinger and just hanging out and being around them was just a treat to hear snippets of what was going on in the world and then just sort of you know banter at that level so to speak um yeah exactly yeah 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 i uh, i'm i'm sure that there must have been things that were said where you must have went inside your own head and said, I don't know if I should hear that or not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, back in that, back in those days, literally I would be on a radio, for example, vice president Mondale one time just went into the Virginia mountains up to a place where it was known for fly fishing. And he wanted to make a phone call back to the you know his house back in this the CNO um, house back in in uh, DC, and I was in the middle of the radio transmission. So he would say something, and then when his son wanted to respond, I'd have to flip the switch the other way. So I was manually <laughs> flipping the switch that in the radio system that connected to two phone calls, and so I heard some things about um, uh, a, a son tearing up the lawn. Uh, at the vice president's <laughs> house with his dirt bike and oh boy. better not be any weed at a party and you know stuff <laughs> like that and i was just sort of had i had to listen but i had one finger in one ear and sort of eyes closed listening and flipping the switch kind of <laughs> you know I, I really don't want to know this stuff yeah yeah, yeah. And, exactly and it's, right and, and i guess at the same time uh it's just a little reminder that hey they're just like us raising kids and have all those problems too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, uh like I could at um out in Vale, President Ford's sons were expert skiers, and there were only a few Secret Service people that could keep up with them. And President Ford was like, "Try not to kill the agents today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't want to. I don't want you guys creating avalanches on a mountain." So yeah. Well, tell uh, me about working with President Carter. I mean, uh, he's he's still out there. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. He um, he had a little bit of a different approach. Um, you know, it was sort of interesting. There, um, oftentimes we would put younger people right at the nose of the airplane at the bottom of the stairs so they could get a handshake from the president. You know. Oh, I see. By. Okay. And um, uh, and I don't know if it was just a bad. I forget where we we're at, but I, I'm not sure if it was a bad day or something else was going on. He was. But the president walked right by the guys that I had put in line uh -oh. and went and talked to the to the police officers and other people that were sort of there for that quick handshake is before they motorcade off. And uh, 
I thought that I thought that was really rude. He never acted rude. Um, you know, Mondale was great. His wife, uh, um, President Carter's wife, everybody was, you know, just really nice, except for like, it must have been a bad day. You know, he okay. just like, walked by. But um, yeah, we would, uh, you know, we'd be doing things and like the the president's chef would come and say, you know, I got some extra. And I'm like, I don't. I don't care what it is. As soon as you say you got some extra and you're the presidential chef, I'm coming. I'm I'll be there. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm a bit of a still a bit of a foodie, and I never have passed up a, a free meal. So yeah, you I I got it. I, yeah. I know where you're from. My wife was uh, worked in food service, and wherever she could take care of people, like maintenance and so on and so forth, that way she got things done. <laughs> well, it's funny because my whole family was Navy and Merchant Marine. But wow. Uh, I, and I could I could kayak, I could canoe, but get me out into the blue ocean, you know, on a rough day, and I'm losing weight right over the side. <laughs> and so I went in the army, and um, when uh, uh, you know, army food is not nearly as good as navy and air force food. So oh, really? we were all okay. sneaking around to try and get into different chow halls and do things. Uh, but when we went down to um, when we went with Carter down to Americus, Georgia right down he went home to the peanut farm and that kind of stuff yeah uh we did they uh we often ate at just this double wide trailer that somebody pulled up and turned into a restaurant because nice. they knew they could make money feeding the agents and the support staff and stuff like that cool and uh, that opened my eyes to a lot of southern cuisine and grits of course and, and nice. different things like that but uh yeah the um most of the staff, like I say, most of the time, the protectees, the staff, they're just very, number one, they're used to it. Number two, they're um, comfortable with it, you, having you around and know that there's limits, you know, like there are certain places in the White House, unless it's a, an emergency, the Secret Service isn't going into the residence and bothering the president. Right, right. You know, right. Same thing on travel. Um, and we just sort of try and stay out of the way, you know, let the staff and the president do what they do. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, um, do you recall anything with any of your presidential duties where there was, and and I don't know what you're allowed to talk about <laughs> still <laughs> to this day, but was there like a uh-oh moment and then whew, you got out of it kind of thing? Or uh, uh, did it ever get close on your watch or anything like that or something? Get crooked. Go, go, go sideways, as they say in the business, right? <laughs> yeah. So... Um... As um as I was what's called a technical security specialist. So I used to joke that I wasn't an agent standing in a hallway waiting to get shot, um, <laughs> you know, on a protective detail. Um, okay. But what 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 technical security division did back in my day is we did alarms, video, bomb detection, chemical weapons detection. So we did all the physical and electronic security of the White House. And this is the kind of things we focused on on travel. Mm -hmm. One of my jobs would be to coordinate all the EOD teams and the dogs, bomb dogs that I would bring in to check an area out, make sure it was clear. Yeah. Right. Before the, the president and whoever got there. Um, so especially on the advanced trips and uh, whether that was him going to the uh, Sheridan and, and to speak uh, like with Billy Graham and in and, and DC, or if it was a trip to overseas or, you know, New York city, that kind of thing. Sure. And uh, 
Um, so I was trained in in explosives and went to a couple of classes on improvised explosives and uh, presidents in the White House, just an everyday work day. And I think it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And one of the Secret Service officers who um, the uniformed officers who who looks more like a policeman at the White House than, you know, a mm -hmm. regular agent in a suit. Yeah. Um, I get the call. I'm at uh, I'm at the our command center, and I get this call that there's a suspicious package outside the gate. Oh, great! Yeah, and and I it probably hadn't been a month since I'd gone through the training, and I have a very active imagination, and I'm like, this is not going to be good. Sure enough, there's a satchel out there. It looks like a lawyer's, you know, uh, satchel. Vote, yeah, top. yeah, yeah, a valise yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. And uh, there's that satchel out there. There's no name on it. There's no indication. Oh, great. It's sitting there. It looks a little bit used and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Call the, call the local Air Force EOD guys. Take the equipment out there. What First thing they teach you in, in EOD school is uh, the more times you approach the device, the higher your risk of getting blown up is, right? <laughs> you go at it and you can look at it and say, okay, well, we'll just throw this into the, you know, into the cement mixer looking device like they have nowadays um, that can take and contain an explosion. The more times you you approach the device, the higher your risk goes up. So I'm looking at this thing and there's no name on it. And so I go, I actually go and get an x-ray, portable x-ray machine. And this is an old machine that spews out the green. Oh know, yeah, yeah, gray. yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I'm not even I'm not even looking. Um, it's not like I have a plate, you know, and I'm taking the chest radiograph, right, X-ray or anything like that. So it's sitting close enough to the wall. I'm just going to spray this X-ray at it and and see what kind of shadow I get on the wall behind it. Oh, okay, and interesting. So I so I I. Um, make the shot and I can't tell what's going on but there's a bunch of junk in this bag and I'm like oh man Damn. I don't want to have to blow this thing up here to to like <laughs> stop a detonator or anything like that yeah and just about the time the Air Force team gets there that's going to support me uh, the Air Force team comes in from Andrews uh, they were the ones on call it could have been an army guys from south and Virginia and Belvoir or whatever but just about the time they come with their better equipment, it's like the guy walks. Some guy walks over and goes, "Hey, can I have my bag?" And I'm like sweating bullets. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I want to hit you, shoot you, or kiss you. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, no kidding, eh? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, and now this was outside stress. the White House, right? This was outside right. the White House, right? Okay. Yeah. So this is. So, so in between the executive office building, the old gray mansion looking building in the White House. Correct. And that driveway, it was just to the right of that on the south side. And <laughs> it's like, how do you leave a bag? You know, I'm like. Yeah, no kidding. Especially there. Yeah. yeah. And this was pre-9-11. So it wasn't, there was no outer security cordon. Sure. It was the fence there and the, the granite walls and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh. The whole time, you know, I i mean, I'm glad there weren't cell phones and people taking videos because, you know, it would have been, it would have. <laughs> yeah. Secret Service guys are like, 
they I got I got written up for superior performance and handling it the right way and all that. But it was like that that, that one was like, wow, I think I'm going to as soon as I get off work, I'm going to have two or five beers, <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> whiskey or two to chill out. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's uh, all they did in those schools was put the fear of God into us. So, yeah. I bet. No kidding. Eh? And uh, when you were in the military, you didn't have any EOD explosive um, training or anything like that. Well, when I was in the military, I had explosives training, but it's about blowing things up and ah. creating the devices, not defeating the devices, not gotcha. stopping the device. So it was the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So I had both sides of the training and I knew what I could think of and what I could do. And that's not good. But, you know, the active imagination is really good in writing. And, you know, when you're a, a bomb guy, you got to just take it a little slow and a little bit at a time and not assume anything. So, yeah. The equipment's much better now. Of course, we have robots that can pick things up, move them. If they get blown up, it's a it's a robot from you know Boston, made in Boston. It's not you yeah. know Steve made in California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, when you approached what you thought was might have been a, a an explosive device, uh, were you wearing the big uh, suit like we see in? Um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie now, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The big bomb yeah. suit. Yeah. No, um, no, we didn't have any of that. I'm in, I'm actually in my, you know, Jacques Penet, <laughs> JC Penny designer suit, you know, um, <laughs> you know, uh, no, I'm just look like another working stiff and it's so and that's it's, it. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, didn't have a robot to walk up there, no video, anything like that. Just sort of walked over there and looked at it, saw it didn't have a tag on it. And I wasn't going to go up and manipulate it or touch it. <laughs> He's not going to walk up and give it a kick or something, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> crack it open. Is it really a bomb? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's craziness, man. That's really good. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's, and and I'm not sure what equipment they have on site nowadays, but we relied on the, 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 the military bomb teams to have all that equipment. Um, right. You know, um, FBI. FBI, there's a lot of agencies. I mean, as you can imagine, <laughs> Washington, D.C. is just stuff full of law enforcement agencies. There's the D.C. Metro cops, all the cities that surround them, yes. all the law enforcement agencies that have different SWAT teams. And, and the Capitol teams. has their own police force, I believe, too, don't they? Capitol has their own police force, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But those guys never made me feel comfortable. Um, I went to the Capitol one time and we cleared this big room and I brought in a, a Secret Service bomb dog. His name was Fang. He was about 130 pounds, and he had wow. a gold. He had a gold incisor. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He 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 would go from complete maniac badass to to puppy in in you know in seconds. He was just like bipolar. He was and a Kenny, gangster. Hand, and, oh yeah, Kenny, his handler was about six three, two sixty. You know, wow. that's what it took to handle Fang. Uh, nice. But um, the bomb dogs, uh, Secret Service bomb dogs, and most bomb dogs nowadays are taught to passively, um, you know, show you there's something. So they just sit down and look at you like, you need to check this out, right? And the first, I don't know if it was a new dog or just different training, but the dog that came in from the, from the Capitol Police, it just stuck its nose into a package. And that was another time I left the room. I'm like, Kenny, let's go. 
<laughs> I'm out. out of control. I'm out. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny's eyes got big. Fang was like, what's these other dog doing, you know? And so, uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, just some kind of craziness. But oh, uh, Excellent, a excellent. A lot of fun. I love it. You're also an author, right, Steve? Yeah, I've got a couple books out. Um, spent a bunch of time down in South America uh, doing, uh, even here in the United States, doing counter-drug missions. Nice. Uh, with the military, we actually would do training in an area, um, but DEA would pay for everything and we would just let them know if something suspicious was going on. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't have arrest powers or anything like that, which is yeah. appropriate. Are but, your books, uh, uh, sorry, are your books yeah. fiction, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction with um, real life elements in them ah. and uh, stories, things like that. And, um, in my books, my first one starts, Shadow Tears starts in 1998. And so we haven't caught El Chapo yet. Uh, He's uh, El Chapo's in a, a supermax prison, uh, not all that far from where I live outside of Denver here. Wow. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they won't let me go talk to him. You know, but uh, <laughs> Excellent. And, and what are the titles of your books? And where can the folks find them? Yeah, Shadow Tears, the first one. Shadow Sanction is the second one. You can find them at Amazon. Um, I just lost my publisher, so I'm republishing the books. Okay. So, so the first one, Shadow Tears, should come back up on the marketplace here shortly. And uh, it's in review. And I'm actually re-editing the second book to put it up. But yeah, it's uh they're about they're about it's about the drug wars and chasing after cartels and things like that. Nice. That's uh, that's my kind of story. I've been into that a lot lately. I've been watching those kind of shows. So awesome. Steve. You have to send me your info. I'll send you copies, a couple copies. That would be awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Steve Stratton, man, has done a lot of cool things. I'll tell you that. I think we could probably go through your career and fill a few shows at the same time. Who knows? <laughs> I might be back in touch with you. Uh, thank you once again for coming on the program, Steve. And I much appreciate it. And uh uh, thank you for your stories and thank you for your service too, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on 1001 True Stories with myself, Brian Tremblay. And if you think you have a story to share or know somebody who does, email me at brian at morinstreetmedia.com. That's brian at morinstreetmedia.com. The link is in the show notes. We enjoy reviews as well as you sharing our show with others. There will be a lot of news stories from more interesting people every Saturday at noon Eastern Time. So until next Saturday, this is 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. Everyone's got a story. What's yours?